0: That really is the goal that the Lord Jesus Christ has for each one of our lives, that He could call upon us and ask us to do anything, and that we would trust Him, and that He would deepen our faith, and that our faith would have no borders, no restrictions on what the Lord can do with us, because He purchased us with His blood. He owns us because of his precious, merciful love for us. Well, this month is uh, family month. At least that's what we've designated it. And so um, the messages that we're bringing to you in the month of February are related to that whole family theme of seeking to strengthen the families, to strengthen parenting, husbands and wives. And and uh... children and all that goes with that and uh... today i want to in particularly bring a message with respect to um, parenting uh, what the lord has to say about our great role and responsibilities parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles anybody with little kids around somewhere there's a message for us today uh... from god's word and uh... it seems that uh... it's a good uh, perfect backdrop for uh, what we have today to kind of gather around the table of the Lord together, gathers a family, and just hear what the Lord has to say to us as family, and pressing forth in the generations to come, uh, the truths of God and what that looks like. And then next week, Bay Forest will come here, and, and uh, he's he's well aware it's Valentine's Day, so he's going to bring a message that that will talk about uh, anchoring our relationships to the Rock, Christ Jesus. And uh, then the week after that, we're gonna, I'm going to bring a message that uh, um, is, is just burning in my heart and has been for months um, with respect to the, the issues, the, the uh, issues of, of uh, relationships, marriage relationships, preparing for marriage relationships in a sermon entitled Real Intimacy. And uh, it, we're going to have our senior highs with us that day, which is so critical, and I'm, I'm so happy that, that the cycle worked for that. We were going to call them in anyway, weren't we? But uh, the, the generation that they're growing up in is very, very reckless. And, and so we want to talk about what God has, what God's design is for us and marriage and preparing for marriage and what marriage should be in terms of the, of the, of the title, Real Intimacy. So that's kind of the lineup, and then we'll leap into our, our new series being chosen into the family of God and what that looks like and uh, belonging to Christ. So having said that, let's uh, pause for prayer and uh, we'll leap into what God has for us today. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here today. It's a divine appointment. We know that, that uh, we are here. You've called us here. You've summoned us here. And, and so, Lord, we've come with open hearts. Um, and we ask that uh, distractions and other things that have pressed upon us this week and that are maybe setting before us in the week to come would just be given a rest right now so we could come and focus all of our attention on what you have from your word for us Uh, in this vital issue of passing down our faith generation to generation father um, it's becoming increasingly difficult to, to navigate in this culture and we know we're not unique in that history has already gone before us, but oh Lord, we're on uncharted waters, and you're asking us to go forth, and I pray, Lord, that we would go forth uh, equipped and armed with your word, your promises, your truth, so that we might have confidence to step out in faith that has no borders, uh, no restrictions on you. So, uh, Father, we just turn this time over to you. And ask that you would uh, be pleased to uh, express in, in the, through the presence and power of your spirit and through your word, uh, your message to us today. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Well, I want to ask, I want to start out by asking the question of, of all of us and uh, together is what is your priority with respect to children that are in your life? What is your what is your priority investment in this next generation um, that is before us? I, I did a little digging this week to try and understand the investment priorities of the culture that we live in. And um, I was, um, uh, as uh, well, I suppose I, w- I, w- I would say I was shocked, but I really wasn't shocked because of the what we see around us and I doubt you'll be all that shocked about uh, some of the things that I've dug up but I tried to I tried to just look at a couple of things in terms of what are people what are people prioritizing for their families in terms of of investment of time energy and finances and uh, a recent ledger um, uh, survey actually 2015 in Canada uh, revealed this that Canadians, 66 percent of Canadian parents have either borrowed money or used retirement savings for extracurricular sports for their children. 66% of Canadians are pulling out their Visa card, borrowing money or uh, borrowing from the retirement savings plans to finance extracurricular sports for their children. Um, And only 48% of Canadians are investing in registered education savings plans for their children. So 66% are borrowing or in fact dipping out of their retirement savings for extracurricular sports, but only 48% are investing in um, registered education savings plans. Um, It perhaps won't surprise you to find out that our friends south of the border, the US, uh, parents spend $7 billion every year just on travel alone for sports for their for their children. $7 billion a year just in travel costs for sports and their children. An Ipsos Reid poll here in Canada in 2006 um, revealed that only 17% of Canadian families bring uh, parents bring their children to church on a Sunday so here we have 66% of Canadians are borrowing from their savings or simply borrowing money to make sure their kids are into extracurricular sports but only 17% of Canadians are bringing their kids to church now I'm guessing that doesn't surprise you although it should shock you it should distress you it distresses me and it explains uh, certainly I would say in part or maybe in whole, why our culture, why the culture of Canada is so godless. And so clearly we can see that as a whole, Canadian parents are not investing in the spiritual things of their children as a priority. My question is, what about Christians? I wonder if we are investing in the spiritual nurture of our children. And so today I want to look at the... uh, the the matter of how to leave the next generation blessed and confident in God. And I, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 78. And I'm gonna look at the first eight verses there, Psalm 78. How can we lead our families against the tide of misguided priorities and toward eternal blessing and joy? How can we gift our children with joy unspeakable and full of glory? That is what we are called to do. And God has a plan for that. That's the good news of today. Psalm 78 is the, God's plan for the very challenge that sits before us. And um, it begins by us having the right attitude. And the right attitude grows out of the first word that probably doesn't appear in your translation but appears in the original of this particular psalm. And the word is this, hear. The word is here. God is calling out from heaven through his servant Asaph, uh, likely a contemporary of David, in this Psalm 78 and he says this, "Hear, O oh people!" with a loud exclamation mark, "Hear my teaching." It's a command of God, the first step toward faithfulness of the next generation is that the people in this room would take this call of God very seriously right from the get-go. Here, open up your ears. Get ready to listen. God has something important to say to you, and he has it here in Psalm 78. Hear, O my people, my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to make known, a better translation, to make known... So that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. I want to pick out four things uh, from these verses this morning to hopefully help all of us who have anything to do with little children in our lives. And that, I would guess, is all of us. And this is what God is calling us to do. The first uh, uh, thing that I want to share with you is this. Christian parents are spiritual guardians commissioned to make a big deal of God to the beloved wards in their foster care. Christian parents are spiritual guardians commissioned to make a big deal of God to the belo- their beloved wards in their foster care. From the first three verses. I-, I want you to note that I've put in quotations the words spiritual guardians and beloved wards in their foster care. I put those in quotations because they're not mine. I borrowed those from John Piper. I like them. I think he's on to something. I think this is who we are. And, and the reason that we-, we say this is because... When God places children in the lives of Christian parents, they are placed in your foster care. And the reason I say that is because they are not yet part of the family of God. They are wards from heaven given to you to raise and awaken faith in their lives that they might be adopted into the family of God. But in the meantime, until they are, we are really spiritual guardians with a trust that's been given to us by God, the wards of heaven, as foster care in, our, in, our, um, in our, uh, our families. So the setting that our homes must be are with the idea of being spiritual guardians. Uh, we are not values-neutral people. We hear a lot of that conversation going on around us. People are trying to convince us that there are institutions and educational environments and all of that are, that are values neutral. There's no such thing as values neutral. It doesn't exist. There is no place on the face of this globe that is values neutral. Everybody has some values of some sort, whether good or bad, but everyone is imposing and influencing their values in their setting on the people they influence around them. There's no values neutral. Therefore, it is absolutely imperative as spiritual guardians of this trust that our family settings are values positive, values biblical, that we are planning to create environments in our families that have serious values, and we don't apologize for them. They are the values that we will seek to influence and impact the wards of having given to us and in to our foster care to shepherd them, to steward them, to awaken faith in their lives. But also, we want to make sure in parenting our children or grandparenting them or being relatives to them or whatever that we teach them that Christianity isn't one among an equal number of potential possible ideas, but rather that Christianity, the, the truth about God, is the way the universe works and is meant to work. Christianity, the, being the people of God, is not a philosophy. It's not a fantasy. It's not a fairy tale. It's not mythology. It's not once upon a time. What we bring to our children in the environments of our homes and our families is historic truth. It's the story of a God who has worked with real people in real time, in real places. It's the, it's the story of history of salvation, human salvation history. That's what we bring to our children. Christian parenting is the work of taking our children into this really happened places. That's what our call is as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles. We are to connect God's words with his actions. We are to uncover for them... The historic actions of the real living God. That's, that's all summarized in the, in the first three verses. What we have heard, what we have known, what the fathers of faith have taught us, this we will teach to our children. That's what we're told to do. So we connect words with God's actions. We connect God's warnings with consequences. We connect defeats with unfaithfulness. We connect pain with sin. We connect uh, victories with faithfulness. We connect joy with obedience. That's our role as spiritual guardians of our families uh, in God's name. So how do we do that? Well, the text tells us how we do that. It says in verse 4, We will not hide them from the children. We will tell the next generation. Christian parents, secondly, must uncover the visible evidence of the invisible God. Telling of his power his praiseworthy deeds and his wonders. We will not Hide them from our children. I, uh, I Get really uh, quite exercised when a parent will tell me well I, I think it's my role To give freedom to my child to try and make up their own decisions and their own mind about these things and what that's that's not That's ludicrous that's that's setting yourself up for a gigantic disappointment to hide your values from your children because I can tell you one thing the rest of the world isn't hiding their values from your children they are not saying well we're just gonna let the children make up their own minds that's not the way it works No, we are called To tell of the power and praiseworthy deeds and wonders of God. What God does matches with who God is. We're to tell the children that. We're to show the children that. Who God is matches with what God does. God is a show and tell God. He presents himself. He reveals himself. Although he is invisible because God is spirit, everywhere around us we see the evidence, the hardcore evidence of an invisible God. And therefore we are called to identify to the children, look here, look, that's of God. Look look what God has done here. Look at God's character. Look at God's nature here. Look at how God is. Look at how God does what he says he will do. We're to show our children that. Our work is to open up their hearts to the possibility of God until the reality of God becomes impossible for them to deny. Um. I have uh, some grandchildren, and I was telling the first group this morning that um, I think I've become far more observant now of little children than I was when I was raising my own. Uh, When my own kids were two, three, four years of age, I was just trying to survive. I don't know about the rest of you or those of you, I know there's many in you here who have little children right now, so you know what I'm talking about. It's just like survival. But now that I'm a grandparent, I can kind of stand back and observe and take a look, you know, dabble, taste, and then send them home. You know, it's just like, <laughs> you can just, so it's, it's a whole different experience for me. So I was playing, I was playing road hockey with my little grandson, Lukamai. He just turned four, it was last, last summer, And um, we weren't playing on the road, so don't send me emails. We were playing road hockey in my backyard, which is bizarre, but fighting the grass and all that. But anyway, that's that's what we were doing for safety's sake. And um, he's he's, uh, playing. All of a sudden, he stops, and he he looks up, and there's there's a a plane going over, you know, with a big line in the sky. And he says to me, that's not a bird. (laughs) And I said, okay, yeah, I I know. And he says... uh, that's a plane. I said, "Yes, I know." So I thought that was it, but but then he drops his stick and he stands in the middle of the yard and looks up and says this, "Don't be afraid. God is holding you up at the top of his lungs." And then because he was afraid they couldn't hear him, he did it again be afraid I'm thinking the neighbors are hearing you kid shut up God is holding you up it occurred to me because my grandson lives in another continent and flies that his parents had decided not to hide from him the invisible quality of our protective God and told him don't be afraid Luke, am I to get in this plane and go up in the air 30,000 feet God will hold you up we will not hide the invisible qualities of God from the next generation so they might be stewarded toward a faith awakening and put their total trust in God His power as their protector so they don't need to fear We will teach them of his praiseworthy deeds, that God might be their hero, that Jesus Christ might be their superhero because he provides for them. We'll teach them of his great wonders, God of wonders beyond the galaxy. We'll we'll teach our children this. We'll tell them this, that he must captivate their imaginations when they think about the vastness of the universe and the greatness of of, of the creation, that they might turn and, and, and realize that God... Is their greatest treasure, the the awareness of God, that they might have an unshakable foundation which begins and ends everything is worthwhile with God. He is the complete deal and the source of all that they trust. Now, these actions that we are to be careful not to hide from our children uh, also have a further reality here in verse 5 where he says that not only will we not hide the great actions of God, his power, his praiseworthy deeds and his wonders, but we'll make sure that we tell them precisely what the word of God says, his statutes and the law and what he has commanded our, our, our fathers. Uh, these stories, the, this telling of biblical history is entrenched in truth. It's included with precision and theological instruction and creating a framework for them to understand who God really is and what God has really said, how God really wants them to live. Because Christian parents must not outsource what their children must know about God. Because you are their most credible and influential teacher. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that there's no place for education elsewhere and all of that not for one second but what I'm saying here and the the emphasis of the text here is not just about teaching it's about knowing there is a difference teachers will tell you I've experienced that I experience that every week I I teach you but because I teach you there's no guarantee that you know and that's why teaching is such a repetitive business. I want to teach and teach and teach the same things often over and over again to make sure that you know, because this text is about knowing. We are not to give up on our teaching with our children until they know what God has said and what God has commanded, and they're able. I, I'm, I'm readily convinced, and um, I'm not an, a specialist in early childhood ed- education by any means, but... But I think this is, has merit, I think it's true, that perhaps the most important age in children's lives in terms of this particular text is between the ages of two and four. That, 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 there may not be a more important department in all of Calvary than the two-year-old department and the three-year-old department and the four-year-old and five-year-old department where they're, they're Minds are being shaped with foundational realities about who God is and that there is a God and, and that He loves me and He protects me and He provides for me, that it might shape their lives, and that they might understand all about Him. But we must take from the great stories of a, 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 a David who swung a, 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 what's that thing called, a sling. And, uh, and, and fired off a rock and nailed a, a giant. That's a great story for kids. But we've got to take them to the word of God and show them the great truths of a God who is taking care of his servant and watching over his people and, and, and honoring faithfulness and obedience. And they need to see the words of that and understand that and, and understand the commands and the lessons of God. Otherwise, they will formulate their own theology of God Outside of his word. This is my Christmas card that I got from my grandson. I'm like a doting grandfather today. I know, I know. This is my, there's no card store where they're living. So I got a piece of paper, Lynn and I, and um, my grandson, although he's very sharp, is not yet able to write. His mother wrote this for him. He dictated it word for word. And uh, this is what he said to us, uh, part of what he said to us. I know that you are sad. As I said, he lives in another continent. I know that you are sad. We are a little bit sad too. (laughs) I was hoping he'd be a lot sad, but (laughs) but, but he's a little bit sad too. And we love you and really miss you, but God misses you the most. That's what he wrote, but God misses you the most. So you should only be sad a little bit. God knows that you are sad, that we are far away from you. And, and then he went on. We know that God is bigger than anyone in the whole West. In the whole West, he writes. So uh, <laughs> anyway, I, 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 started, I, I was thinking about that. Why would he write, God misses me? And then I realized, here's what he thinks. He thinks that God went with them to the other <laughs> continent. And I don't have God anymore. (laughs) Because he is the center of his universe. And where he is, there is God. But why wouldn't he think God is there with him? Because his parents told him that. They just forgot to tell him the whole of theology, which is the omnipresence of God, which in a four-year-old maybe is a little heavy, and that God is still here at Calvary Baptist Church too with us. So we are to tell the children... The specifics of our theology, not hide that from them either, to tell them exactly who God is and the great theology of God. And that's why the text says here, he's, tell them their decrees, that they might know so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. Make sure they know exactly what God wants them to know about himself. Incorrect, imprecise vision of God will lead them to an incorrect way of living. I want them to know who God is. I want them to know what God has said. I want them to know what God requires. I want them to know what, what salvation is. I want them to know the truth about man and women in this messed up culture that they're growing up in. Let, let's not uh, kid ourselves. Our children spend a great deal of their time under the um, teaching of the ministry of education. All the wonderful Christian teachers that we have here, notwithstanding, who are trying to continue to push back the values that are antithetical to what we believe, let's understand this, that our public education system is a completely politicized, value-based ideology based upon the government that happens to be in power at the time. That's why it's called the Ministry of Education. Just like we have ministries here at Calvary in various regions of our church that, as far as I know, are all on the same page with our values. Well, the Ministry of Education is seeking to bring the values of the current government to bear upon your children. So it is imperative for us To make sure that we work doubly hard and early in their lives to prepare them to be able to stand against the values that oppose the the values of God. We We want to make sure that they understand that his word is not relative. It doesn't need social updates. It doesn't need revisioning. Because the human condition never changes from one society to another. From one place in the world to another. From one time in history to another. A man is a man 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 years ago. A woman is a woman 2,000, 5,000, 6,000 years ago. Nothing's changed. The human condition is always the same. And so we want to make sure our children understand... That the human condition transcends time and culture. That living right before God isn't a cultural thing. It's a human thing. And what our culture wants to hijack is nothing short of robbery from your children. You might want to tweet this, you might not want to. Humans belong to their creator, not to their culture. That's the truth. And that's what parents need to believe. You must take responsibility for shaping the whole of your children, and they must know God. They must know the truth. They must know about the truth. How distressed I was to realize how the education influence and impact on young adults and well, teen, teenagers in particular has made its mark. A recent Barnes survey, which I'm Uh, researching for another sermon that I'm doing, uncovered this truth, this reality in our culture. In surveying teenagers in America uh, under the question of this is worse than this, um, teenagers in America believe that littering is worse than pornography. Can you imagine? That littering is worse than pornography. That says everything about how influential the culture has been. Now, when I grew up, and this is a shock and a horror to most of you, when I grew up as a kid, you could go to the candy store, you buy a chocolate bar, an henry bar, of course, and you would take that and unwrap it and you would throw the, the uh, wrapper on the ground, that's just what you did. Until the culture imposed a very intelligent uh, value that littering is really bad. And now I'm sure like the rest of you, most, most of these kids here, like they're horrified. What, you threw, you, th- you actually threw a candy bar wrapper on the ground and walked away feeling good about that? Yes. <laughs> Very good about it while I was eating my chocolate bar. But today, you couldn't get a, a, a wrapper out of my hand onto the ground. It just, it just wouldn't happen. I, I, I can't throw that on the ground. I, I, I'd, I'd keep it in my pocket until I found a garbage can. Is that not the way we are? Because littering, is the, the heinous of all sins. So it would seem. But pornography is okay. Now, I'm against littering. But I can tell you something. That pornography is a more destructive litter than we have ever, ever imagined. And there's something wrong in a culture that has shaped our children to believe that littering is worse than pornography it explains why we have broken families broken homes messed up lives gender confusion why do we do this Verse seven then they would trust put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Since it is by second birth that people are saved, Christian parenting is leading children to a faith awakening in Christ so they will trust God, not forget his deeds, keep his commands, and tell the next generation. That's what has unfolded for us here. We are to steward them to conversion. Our job is to foster parent our wards into full adoption into the family of God. Story upon story of spiritual decline in human civilization is not so much about a family choice to abandon God as it is simply allowing Him to be forgotten. And the reason I mention that to you is I didn't continue on with the sad and tragic story of Ephraim in verse 9. The men of Ephraim though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. Ephraim was one of the tribes of Israel that had every advantage. In fact, as you see the text here, they were the most numerous. So let's put this in football terminology since this is Super Bowl day. And this is a parenting, this is a family that is all excited about the idea that their kid has an, has an opportunity to be a first-round draft pick for the NFL. And this kid, as described by Ephraim, is most numerous. Let's say, we'll say this kid has all the size he needs to play football. Not only that, his great-grandfather is Joseph, the greatest running back the Steelers had ever known. All right? And so the pedigree is there. And then, it says, they were armed. This kid has all the skills that you need to be a first-round draft pick in the NFL. And his father and grandfather had even heard of God and knew of the great things that God had done and the exploits that they participated in in football in their generation. But this kid ultimately rejects God and turns his back on the day of battle. When he's called upon to stand firm in his faith, he doesn't. He turns his back and runs away. Why? How did that happen? Verse 11. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. He did miracles in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt. In the region of Zoan. It wasn't so much a decided choice in the family to not follow God as it was they forgot to talk about God and the great things He'd done. You know why? Because they spent all of their money. They borrowed so that this kid could grow up and be a great football player. And he had all the resources, all the assets but he forgot about God. And it says in verse 67 and 68 that the living God moved from Ephraim and rejected them and put his favor on the tribe of Judah. So my question to you as parents and grandparents is do you want your family to be Ephraim or do you want your family to be Judah? Because it will depend, that answering of that question will decide whether you tell the next generation the great things of God, that you will not forget who God is and what he has done for you just like you taught them, that you will keep his commands in their sight so that they see, that you will tell your grandchildren just like you told your children the truth of God. High-octane spiritual faith is based upon remembering the great things, the praiseworthy deeds, the power and wonders of God. That's why Jesus Christ gave us a very important responsibility in his family. We're to come together regularly and remind each other of our salvation That's why Jesus said, and we will repeat in the ceremony to come, this bread is my body. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. This cup is an emblem of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Why? So that we never forget about our salvation And that we faithfully tell the truth to the next generation. That they might tell the next generation of the great truths of God. That God loves us. That God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. That he sent his son to live among us. A sinless son who never sinned but took our sins upon him, that we might have forgiveness and have salvation and have eternal life, that we may never forget as we gather together at this table what the Lord has done for us, and then be sure to tell all the children in this building and all the children in your family what the Lord has done for you as spiritual guardians, that we might steward the next generation to a faith awakening that they might serve God with all of their hearts mind, soul, and body. Father, we just pray this morning as we transition now to this time of remembrance so that we don't forget. Oh God, make us ever mindful as we gather now as your people at the table of the Lord. You, Christ Jesus, are the host who has invited us here to to ensure that your people Never, ever forget what their salvation means and is and how it came about and what is available to others, oh God. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Throughout the ages, our God has always commanded us to make sure we are faithful generation to generation by passing down the truth. Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Beloved, forgetting is fatal. Make sure you do not forget what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you by rescuing you out of the slave market of sin and self and placing you into his amazing kingdom of light, freeing you to serve him and love him all the days of your life and to spend all of eternity praising and worshiping him together in glory. Do not forget to tell your children the great things of God, his power, his praiseworthy deeds, and his wonders. Our Father and our God, we lift up our hearts to you with an understanding of what you have told us today and ask you O oh God by the power of your spirit at work in our lives that we might be parents grandparents aunts and uncles whatever relationship we have with little children that would be faithful to share with them the power and praiseworthy deeds and wonders and statutes and declarations and commandments of our God that they might put their trust in him and tell of the truths of Jesus Christ for generations to come. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.